Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The moment you've been waiting for is almost here. Football is around the corner, and you can start the season by winning $2 million in week one at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. It's like a brand-new season every time you play. Just pick your players, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. That's it. Why wait till the end of the season to get paid when you can win huge prizes every week? You can get started playing right now. Prepare for the regular season with preseason contests running through August. You've already been scouting players for your season-long fantasy team. Put that knowledge to the test every week this football season at DraftKings.com, where you can turn your love of football into a lifetime of cash. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use the promo code RODEN, R-H-O-D-E-N, to play for a free shot at $2 million in the Week 1 Millionaire Maker. Enter RODEN for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com, that's DraftKings.com. Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms, legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Uh, good evening, this is uh, Bill Roden, and welcome to another edition of Bill Roden Sports. Of course, uh, Jamal is here, uh, a good friend Jamal Murphy, the sports attorney person. Glad to be here again. Yeah, great having you. And uh, my special guest is uh, Rex Miller. Uh, Rex Miller is the director of a truly outstanding, outstanding documentary called Althea, the uh, the life of uh, the great Althea Gibson. And man, I got to tell you, Rex, I'm always, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. But man, just thank you so much for doing this because um, Althea Gibson, I've always been intrigued by her of all the sort of the great figures of sports going back to Jack Johnson and Wilma Rudolph and Jolie, you know, the, the whole lineage. But Althea, and, and look at the pantheon of all the, 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 the lineage of great black athletes. Althea, although people say, yeah, yeah, you know, she won the back, but nobody's really uh, delved in to her life the way you delved into it and, and, and more importantly brought it to life so that young kids, particularly who are like in the visual generation, mm-hmm. could actually see it. So, um, man, I just want to say uh, thanks for doing it. And I have one hypothetical. I mean, Althea, and we'll talk about this, was, I mean, was tough as nails. I mean, I mean, just tough. Harlem, I mean, tough. So I'm thinking, who do you think if, if she were to play Serena Williams, who in this generation is, I mean, just tough, really tough. And I'm thinking if those two would ever hook up, would there be, I mean, there would be so much blood. I think that's uh, Harlem versus Compton. Oh, man, that's right. That's, that's scary. That's uh, well, Who do you think would, I mean, you know, of course I hate it, but this is what sports is. Given everything you know about Althea and given what you know because you're a tennis buff and given everything you know about Serena, how who do you think would win that match? Well, it's a clash of the titans, I guess you could say. And, you know, one thing about Serena, she's got the greatest fighting spirit of mm. any player right now. I mean, she, yeah, she's maybe faster, stronger, but really it's her her warrior spirit. And that's exactly what Althea had. And people like to say, oh, you know, uh, Serena got hers from growing up in Compton and whatnot. But Althea literally was born in the uh, cotton fields of Mm. South Carolina. Her father was a sharecropper. Mm. So that's really tough. Then they came to Harlem and she grew up in the tough streets of Harlem and nobody really gave her too much help. I mean, Serena had a lot of coaching along the way and uh, smoothed out the rough edges of her tennis game. But Althea was really very much self-taught. Physically, they match up really well. Althea is actually taller. Yeah, that's what, but how tall was she? She was, uh, I think, uh, 5'11", 6 feet, and she uh, kind of built more like Venus, long yeah. and lanky, athletic. She played basketball growing up. Um, she could throw a football, apparently 50, 60 yards. She, of course, later played pro golf as well. So she had all the athletic tools. 
So if Althea got to update her equipment mm. and, uh, you know, had some few years playing the modern game, I think they'd have an absolute war because <laughs> Althea's style would be very much in Serena's face, being that she was a servant volleyer. She came to the net and dominated uh, from close range. So I think it would give Serena problems. You know, it's so funny when you, when you look at that, when you look at Althea and just you look at her when she would walk on the court. I mean, there's no bullshit. I mean... I'm like, damn, is this chick? It's like <laughs> hard, man. I mean, you, you know, she had a like Serena's a, a bit of a man. I love Serena. A bit of a, a diva. I mean, she's a, a product of the 21st century sports scene, and she mm-hmm. loves it and all that. Althea, that shit was like all business. Woo, man! And she had, you know, the, the scene you had. And again, I, I, at some point, I'll go back to the beginning to tell me how you got to this and all that. But you know, the scene where you got to remember, this is like. In, in the early 50s when black folks were getting lynched and, and she was into a, a, an atmosphere, you know, that where black folks, I mean, they had their own black circuit, but this the Forest Hills and all that. So remember the scene when, for the first time, she goes out uh, and to, to play with a big bro, a bra. Lu- Louise Bruff. Louise Bruff. Yeah, her first breakthrough uh, was 1950. Mm. Um, some, some of the tennis powers that be uh, enabled her to break the color barrier because they had basically an unwritten rule that blacks couldn't compete. And Alice Marble, who was mm. one of the champions at the time, wrote a letter that was very public and kind of shamed the US LTA at the time, Lawn Tennis Association, into letting Althea compete. So, yes, yeah, she walked out to play the number one player in the country, Louise Bruff, mm. at Forest Hills, mm. and people were yelling the N-word mm. and, you know... Uh, in, in tennis? In, um, <laughs> qu- supposedly, sort of quietly, but, you know, it was she was definitely out of her element and all alone out there. And uh, the f- the, when they played, uh, Althea was actually about to win the match. She was about two points from victory, and uh, thunder and lightning came, mm. and as a, a, a tremendous thunderstorm came, and they had to stop for the day. And uh, people see the film; the story is encounter- accounted in detail, um, which was straight from the New York Times. So this actually happened. Mm. Lightning came and struck this eight-foot concrete stone eagle on the top of Forest Hill Stadium and broke it, and which knocked it off. Mm. And people scattered, and they had to come back the next day. And by then, it was a little too much pressure for her at that point. She was on the cover of every newspaper in the world after that first day. And then she ultimately didn't win that match, but then came back years later and And made history. When did she beat her? She beat her again, right? She beat uh, uh, Louise Bruff. 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 But, you know, spell that. Her name is spelled B-R-O-U-G-H. Yeah, so Ruff with a B. Yeah, so Bruff. But she beat her years later. uh, Was it at the U.S. opening, right? Yeah. What then, I guess, became? Then it was called the U.S. Nationals because it was amateur. Uh, It was not open to professionals. Yeah, and then so she... To win her first Forest Hills title, she beat Louise Bruff year, seven years later after that first how, match. How old was she in that first match? The first match, uh, do the math, she was, uh, she was born in 23, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then when she won uh, Wimbledon and the U.S. Nationals, she was 30. Wow. 29 for Wimbledon, then she turned 30. She turns, right. her birthday is August 25th, so right at the beginning of the U.S. Open. All right. Uh, speaking of which, uh, she would have been, what, 88 on her next birthday. And uh, there's a big deal, right? There's going to be um, a really nice, long overdue celebration of Althea Gibson in <clears throat> in Harlem, USA, right? Yeah. Uh, so a few months ago, uh, sitting alone in my dark house, I declared that August 25th was going to be Althea <laughs> Gibson week in New York to coincide with our broadcast or to lead up to our broadcast on PBS American Masters, which is September 4th during the U.S. Open. So uh, at this point, it's kind of like really taken off, and we have events August 25th through August 30th, one or two per day, Uh, four events in Harlem, three Mm. screenings of the film, and then also a program at the Jungle Tennis Courts that David Dinkins is hosting for uh, families. And then we've got the Queen's premiere 
um, that same week, and then the Long Island premiere Saturday night in Port Washington, New York. So we're excited to bring the film to Althea's, you know, where she grew up, to the streets of Harlem. So we've got four events there, so people can check out the schedule on uh, the film website, which is just Althea the Film. If you Google Althea and Film, we come up, so it's mm. easy to find. How, how um, I mean, if somebody's, like, living in Chicago or or L.A. or Milwaukee or something like that, um, how can they, if they want you to come there, if you want to do a screening in Milwaukee or Indianapolis or, you know, Mississippi, I mean, how could they, how could they do that? Well, thanks for asking. One of the, the big goals with this film was to have a big educational outreach component where we take the film around the country to schools and grassroots organizations. And we've done that a lot up to this point, the last six, seven months, with festival screenings and some community screenings. But we're actually collaborating with a bunch of different organizations, including the USTA and NYJTL, which a lot of New Yorkers know about. And uh, so... It's going to get out there. The, the USTA is, is going to provide a lot of uh, their network to network with over 500 local organizations. But really, if they send an email to us through the website, we'll do our best to make it happen. Whether it's at a school or a community gathering or a corporation, we can do that. And we've been doing it to some degree. That's great. I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to have okay. you come to the Church of the Intercession in Harlem, USA. And You uh, mentioned that. I'm yeah, ready. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the first, when, we first, when we met, uh, it was back in January, and uh, the film was screened at the center. Um, at the Jacob Burns, Burns center. Film Center up in Mount Kisco great venue it was yeah. a really nice venue it was a very nice evening um uh it was cold as hell <laughs> but it was a, but it was a nice evening and um i think a lot of people were just really just surprised because everybody knows althea gibson but they didn't really know uh, what she went through i mean they kind of know jackie robinson they kind of know you know even sifford you know charlie they know mm -hmm. but the th and, and the point i was trying to make when i that that when she went out in 1950 to play uh, Bruff, I'm thinking, here's this black woman, only 22, 23, coming out there by herself in this whole, you know, hostile, you know, the, the sort of the liberal hostility, mm -hmm. quiet, but just the daggers, you know, and then having to play for the championship and the expression on her face, you know, she always had this sort of stoic but no nonsense. Game, game face, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just really. And then went out there and proceeded to kick her ass, you know. And I, I just think that um, people need to, people really need to, to know about this. It says things about uh, how far women have gone, how come, how far black women have come. And I guess my question to you is, hey, what do you think? Uh, Althea would have made about uh, about Serena and Venus. Um, do you think that she ever, given where she given where she was in 1950, where it just seemed like she would have to dig a, a career out of concrete? Mm -hmm. If somebody had told her, "Okay, listen, just calm down. Uh, you're going to have two black sisters from Compton, California, who for 10 years are going to dominate this, and there's going to be a pre black president of the United States," you know. Uh, you know, and there's going to be a black female president of the USTA. Just, I know this is just a fun question, but knowing what you know about her, do you think she would actually believe that when she would like knocked you out and said, "Get out of my face! You're wasting my time." <laughs> Great question. Yeah, I mean, things have changed from back when she came up, but I actually think she would have not raised an eyebrow because she didn't see. Well, the way she expressed it was she didn't see race as an obstacle. Obviously, it was. It was a right. huge obstacle. But she had people that mentored her and brought her along to think differently, that she could do it. And her whole thing was, don't look at me as a black tennis player. Don't look at me as a, a woman tennis player. I'm just an athlete. Just let me compete. As Billie Jean King says in the film, just let me be one of you. Mm. So that was one of the reasons why she kind of ostracized herself from the black community in a way during the civil rights movement. I mean, when she was making her breakthrough, 1950, 1954, 1955, this is Emmett Till, yeah, yeah, Rosa yeah. Parks, lynchings yeah. everywhere, yeah. and then she's breaking barriers. 
um, she tried to exclude that really from the conversation. And she, at one point, she represented the, the U.S. on an overseas tour that was sponsored by the State Department. And it was specifically done to counteract all the negative media images of the hoses and the dogs <laughs> right. and all that stuff. Right. And people told her not to do it. But she saw it as an opportunity for herself. And she, as she explains, she said, the State Department told me I was going to be representing my country and I could say whatever I want. And so she didn't want to talk about so much all the negative imagery. She just wanted to compete and represent herself and represent her country. And the people that mentored her, particularly um, these two black doctors, uh, Dr. Hubert Eaton Jr. I'm sorry, Dr. Hubert Eaton Sr., his son Jr. is in the film, mm. um, and Dr. Robert Johnson, who's now in the Tennis Hall of Fame because he later coached Arthur Ashe, they raised her to have a dignity about her and to not really see the obstacles and, and to help her overcome these obstacles. So to, the short answer would be I don't think she would have been that surprised because she was doing that herself in the early 50s with no fear and no no vision of these obstacles. Well, she had no fear. I mean, I mean I'm, well, everybody has fear, but it did not cripple her. It did not paralyze her. And I guess when you look at that generation of black folks, man, I mean, whether it's Althea Gibson or Joe Lou, I mean, these people, man, you know, like my father's age, my father passed away and he was like 94. But when you think about the shit they had to go through, you know, where people could just get killed on the street. You talk about Ferguson and that kind of stuff and people getting away. I'm talking about there wouldn't be trials. <laughs> you know, here's, well, you know, everybody's wringing their hands and having demonstrations. They say, wait a minute. Hey, there's not going to be any, because if you demonstrate, we're going to kill all y'all. And nobody's going to say anything about like the thing like Sandra Bland was like routine. Mm -hmm. So when you think of her, you know, um, but my, 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 I guess my, one of my questions, what did you make of that? I mean, with her saying race is not an obstacle, uh, that, her whole sort of neutrality mm -hmm. when, it, when it came to that, do you think that, that she really believed that? Do you think that? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't really believe that shit. Did right? she receive flack for it from, from other black yeah, uh, leaders did. at the time? Yeah, she did. And, um, I mean, she was asked to make speeches. I mean, because literally in 1957, she was on the cover of Time Magazine, Sports Illustrated, New York Times, had a ticker tape parade, got the Wimbledon Trophy from the Queen of England. So, of course, she's going to get asked to go to Montgomery, Birmingham, and she just didn't want to go make speeches. And, um, you know, uh, Jeannie Ash, Arthur Ashe's wife, um, told me an interesting story about how Arthur had all this support from different parts of the community, from Richmond, the church community supported him. He went to UCLA, right. they supported him, the US Army supported him, and Althea was really by herself. Yeah. And then a woman by herself, black woman, early 50s, gonna go do what? Make a speech? Right. Plus, her, her mind was so, fo this is my interpretation, but her mind was so focused on her goals, she wanted to be a sports champion, and she just didn't see that as part of her path. And then also, she just, uh, the first words out of her mouth a lot of times was no. Like, <laughs> you, no, that, right. that's not on my program. Right. So she was very focused on what she wanted to do. Um, earlier in her life when she was a kid, you know, running through the streets of Harlem, not going to school, she was much more of a wild child. But then when she got grown and, and started to have some success, some success, she didn't want in my opinion, to trifle with stuff that was out of her vision. And mm -hmm. she had a very narrow vision. She wanted to be champion. Yeah, the interesting thing about that, we, we, could, we could discuss the end of her life. But when you look at it, at the end of the day, it didn't necessarily, that didn't necessarily help. And number one, it didn't really get her a lot of black support. But also, even the people that she was, you know, when you try to be, to me, I was always less, you're trying to be neutral and do the right things. You know what, we're going to screw you anyway. You know, mm -hmm. you know, we're we going to get you one way or the other, whether you whether you march and pick it or whether you play neutral. Racism is such a huge thing that we're going to sit on you anyway. It doesn't matter what you do. And then you look at the end of her life where I don't know if there was not a rush of people there because people didn't know because she didn't really let it be known or because she didn't necessarily um, endear herself to the black community. What, what's your what's your take on that? I mean. Because it, it, it didn't end pretty. 
you know, it didn't end pretty. She was kind of alone, a recluse, depressed. Yeah, yeah. She ended her life. She's very isolated, as you say, alone, recluse. I mean, one of the things that attracted me to Althea as a character, as a film character, is that you know, a famous person said, uh, you know, much of your pain is self-chosen, mm-hmm. and that was true for Althea. Yeah. You know, she did somewhat isolate herself, and then the game of tennis was very quick to kind of in my opinion brush her aside and she helped yeah she helped isolate herself um nowadays in tennis if you've ever won a big tournament they will find you and trot you out to play an exhibition or a corporate outing you know these so those opportunities did not come her way and again part of it you can kind of say she isolated herself but also it was the game the white game of tennis also helped push her out the door and you know uh she she just went in that direction. You're listening to Bill Roden on Sports. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on Sports. And, you know, she was, you, you just think of, um, I, we were talking about Serena. But, you know, I, you know, I'm, 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 I, you know, I wonder, well, what would she be like today? Well, you know what? She sang. You know, I mean, she was, I mean, she sang. She had an album, which one of them I have. Um, she uh, played, she seemed like she would have been so into the, op, the multi-dimensional um, things that you can do. She was not like Serena in terms of being sort of a, the, you know, reveling in the the deep stuff. She like you said, I think she was probably more like Venus, a little. But she she liked being able to do a lot of different stuff. And in this environment, like in the fifties, I mean, forget it. Yeah, when she grew up, she played all different sports. Yeah. First on the uh, police athletic league play streets in Harlem, she was playing uh, kickball, football, baseball, all these different games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so. Also, one of the things that I found so interesting about Althea is how multi-talented she was. Yeah. Okay. Um, after, towards the end of her tennis career, which ended with her at the top of the game. She was world champion, 57, won Wimbledon, won the U.S. Nationals, and then her coach, Sidney Llewellyn, said, go back and do it again mm-hmm. so that people don't think it was a fluke. She went back and repeated. Now, at that point, Donald Dell, sp- super sports agent, in the film, he points out that she'd be making $10 million a year now. Right, right. And back then, she was if she was lucky, she was getting $200 a week in mm. expense money. Right. That was it. There was no prize money. So in 1958, she said, well, I'm the queen of uh, you know women's tennis, but you can't eat a crown, so I have to <laughs> right. go make a living. So she tried to parlay that into making a living. Really, she was fighting for her life. She didn't even have her own apartment at that point. Wow. So she, um, the first thing she did was try to make a living playing tennis, but there was no professional circuit. Some of the men were making a living playing exhibition matches, basically barnstorming around the country, playing you know 275 nights a year. So she hooked up with the Harlem Globetrotters and toured with them basically for uh, most of a year, playing exhibition matches during halftime and before their yeah. games and traveling like five in a car the little tennis crew was uh traveling around and then she had some musical ability and having grown up in harlem she was exposed to all that amazing music and one of her mentors was sugar ray robinson Mm. and he owned a club so the gentleman who was her coach on the play streets of harlem he was the saxophone player at sugar ray robinson's club and he bought althea her first saxophone what was his name um, Buddy, Walker. Buddy Walker. He was a band right. leader yeah, for yeah, Sugar yeah, Ray yeah. Robinson. So over the years, she developed some musical talent, ability, which led her first to perform at the Wimbledon Ball, which mm. is the ceremonial ball. Yeah, that was great. A scene, lot of people yeah. saw a great picture of Serena and Novak Djokovic right, right. doing Dancing. like Saturday Night Fever dance. So that picture is exactly like one that's in our film of Althea with the men's champion at the time, Ashley Cooper, who kind of looks strangely like Djokovic (laughs) a little bit, you know. um, So she sang at the Wimbledon Ball, and then 
But she she's, could really sing. I mean, she that's, sing pretty that's, well. I don't know yeah. what people think, but I'll be curious for feedback on that. I thought she was pretty solid. But it's yeah, almost like she know. had she had all this talent that she was basically forced to use in order, you know, financially. Yeah. Because tennis wasn't doing it. Exactly. So in today's day and age, tennis would have probably done it for her. So we don't know whether she would have went into these other areas. Yeah. And then so she sang on Ed Sullivan, cut an album. And then that didn't take off, I guess, you know, album sales. It's tough to do, even today, to be famous at one thing and then go do something else. It's unheard of now. Yeah, I think people don't necessarily want to embrace that. I mean, other tennis players have tried over the years. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, really, I'm trying to think of who was actually. Billie Jean King has done a a pretty good job of bridging, but she had to do the whole thing with Bobby Riggs, and she's also become an activist. She's an activist, yeah. which, Which is an interesting point. I mean, I think beyond Althea, just in retrospect, that, you know, a kid asked me, this is completely, remind me to come back to this point, but a kid on my block, I live in Harlem, by the way, I live in Harlem, USA, by the way, and there's a kid, you know, uh, Jonathan lives on my block, and, you know, when I leave my apartment building, uh, everybody has this running commentary about the latest sports things. There's one kid, Jonathan, that's, you know, how come nobody's talking about Michael anymore, Michael Jordan anymore? Everybody's talking about LeBron and this and that. And uh, I said, well, people still talk about Michael because of the scoring and all that. But, you know, I live right across the street from Jackie Robinson Park. So I said, okay, now let me ask you a question. Now, this is what, Jackie Robinson Park, right? Yeah. Now, Jackie Robinson died almost 40 years ago, right? He retired in 1959, 60, something like that, right? But yet, people are still talking about Jackie Robinson. Why do you think that is? So Muhammad Ali he stopped boxing almost 30 years. Why do you think people are still talking about Muhammad Ali? And he said, well, because of stuff he did off the guy. I said, right. Because not the boxing, not the not the hits, those things, but it's because he stood for something greater than that. He fought for a cause. He fought for, he did his role to fight for freedom. And I think that, you know. And that's why everybody knows who Arthur Ashe is. That's why everybody yeah. knows who Arthur is. And I think I may be arguing against myself. I'm just wondering, this kind of gets back to our early point about Althea, is that maybe, again, retrospect, I mean, in hindsight, you know, she's not, she is known as a civil, of a blazer trails, not because she necessarily, she says, I just want to play tennis. But she didn't then, you know, help the next generation go down to Jackson, Mississippi, or Selma, and that kind of stuff. And I don't know if that would have necessarily made a difference about because we still remember you just you, you're just doing a documentary on her life so so clearly you know uh, I'm kind of arguing against myself saying that she'd have been much more of a of a battler yeah I, I, I had the same I had the same question um why you know I'm 39 years old and I haven't heard enough about Althea myself you know I had to go do some research on her whereas when we talk about Jackie Robinson who broke the color barrier uh, in baseball, everybody knows that story. So I'm wondering, what's the difference with Althea Gibson? Is it the fact that she's a woman? Is it tennis versus baseball? What do you think? Well, it's it's funny you mentioned Jackie Robinson because when I mentioned this film to people, Althea Gibson documentary, who's that? Who's that? Yeah, yeah. Well, she was the Jackie Robinson of tennis. Yeah. She was the first. Um, clearly, if she had uh, been more political, I think her legacy would have been much bigger, mm-hmm. and she w- she would have been taught in schools. I mean, it's kind of the way, Bill, you just mentioned Muhammad Ali. Well, Lennox Lewis probably held the title as long. Nobody talks about him. Uh, Nobody knows who he is. He was a great champion. So I think that, you know, when you hit the political avenue um, with your your talent and your your name, then, you know, it goes much bigger than just your sport. Yeah. And, And I think... You know, it's a, we talk about Serena, and uh, and I'm a huge Serena fan. I've I've watched since she first you know came on the scene, and I've always rooted for her. And I've watched tennis matches of her playing on TV in certain rooms full of people who are making these comments. Where I'm like, I can't believe you're making right. that comment. Um, <laughs> so I've seen it come around where now her persona, uh, I think, has a as a is transcending a little bit beyond her sport because she's doing like just amazing things. So it's tough to transcend your sport and, unless you're doing something like above and beyond just being a champion. Yeah, uh, and, and again, I think that if Althea were alive today, I mean, doing what she did, I think she'd be a billionaire. And, and it's not like Serena has necessarily been walking any picket lines. I mean, that's not what they're known for. That's not mm-hmm. what she and her sister are known for. They've been... 
you know, Venus has fought for women's pay and stuff like that, but they've never been. Now, their father, who was a protectorate, is, is known for being nuts and protecting his daughter and talking a lot of racial stuff. You know, in fact, he may have been a contemporary. He may not. He's a little younger than than um, than Serena, than um, uh, Althea, yep. but I'm sure he kind of remembers her. Speaking about dad, I had two. But speaking of fathers, that there's a part in, and I thought that maybe I was going to say, well, maybe Rex let him off the hook. But you know, the father, the point about her father boxing on the roof, that's abuse. I mean, I mean, when you when you look at that. It was kind of child abuse. I mean, if you you could tell the story, although I know people are going to look at it. But you know, when he would they go on the yeah. roof with boxing gloves, and he would like be they'd be fighting. And and right? she she wrote about this in her autobiography. Yeah. So this is like straight from the autobiography. Her her dad was, you'd have to call it abusive because he used to beat her up. But then <laughs> yeah. and Althea lets him off the hook somewhat, saying, "Oh, I deserved it most of the time." Mm. Nowadays, that would be abuse. Oh, he would he yeah. he would make it out of. Yeah, Um, but what he also did besides just beating her when she wouldn't come home for a week or something, he would take her up on the rooftop of their Harlem tenement and literally put on boxing gloves and then beat her and make her fight back. And I did some research, and boxing was much bigger than, especially in New York, it was like every week at the garden. And then they also had quite a few women's fights. Mm. So the gentleman, Lenny Simpson, who recounted that story, he was convinced that he he saw in her this athlete, and in in Lenny's mind, and, and Lenny gr- knew Althea well. He said in, in his mind, her father would have put her in those fights for sure <laughs> if he could have made a dollar off of it. And I even researched women's boxing posters, so that was part a little more of the part of the sports landscape at the time. Yeah, all right, it still seems pretty abusive. I mean, but yeah, he was he was a tough guy. But it's interesting because later when she. Um, one Wimbledon and U.S. Nationals, there are a lot of photos of her embracing her dad. And, and, and of course, he's older. She's 30, and he's, you know, he's probably you know, 20 years older than when he was beating her up. So there, was a, there <laughs> right. was a coming together that she did embrace her father. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, you know, but it's just it's, it's, a, it's a great story. And it's just you're thinking, and you're looking at this through the prism of 2015. Saying this guy would be in prison, man. Yeah. You're beating the hell out your dog, going on the roof with, with, with boxing. Well, I'm just curious whether you showed leading up that story. You, there were some scenes of boxing. Those those were not of her her dad, were they? No, that that speaks to just the amazing archive of photography that we found and I discovered. This. I'm a photojournalist turned right, filmmaker, right. so doing this project was like days and weeks and months of researching into old archives of photographs and there were zero visuals of Althea bef- that we found before she turned 18 or 19. So we had to think of interesting ways to give a visual language. So we found some amazing photographs of kids boxing each other on the streets and used that to sort of set the mood and then we actually used animation and photography to recreate the boxing scene. Ah. Oh, okay. That was it. Was good though, but I, I just couldn't. I just kept thinking with the roof, the rooftop thing. I said, "She, he's lucky he didn't throw his throw his ass off." To one day, they just found his father on the on the ground floor because she had picked him up, <laughs> knocked, knocked him out. There's just a couple couple final things I think. Um, one, you you tell the story about how you came to to this project and uh, about your mother and dad and the care. And it, you telling the story, and I want you to repeat it. I keep thinking about my father was a track guy. He, he he ran Morristown College in Tennessee before he went to Tennessee State. But he was a track guy. And in 1936, after Jesse Owens came back from the Olympics, part of his stuff of making money, they had him go around everywhere and run against horses. But also he'd go to little towns and he'd take the fastest kids and run against them. So when he went, he came to Morristown, Tennessee. And so my father was one of the kids who raced against Jesse Owens. Would they have a relay against no, no, him? Or? No, no, it just had like him, and, and he would give them, he would give everybody 10 yards, okay. and of course smoke them by 10. And so my father, of course, got smoked by 15 yards, but he, I've still got his, his the track shoes that he ran with Jesse Owens, you know, and he was proud to get beaten by 20 yeah. yards by Jesse Owens, but it reminds me of the story of your mother about the pictures, I mean, you could tell me about because it was sort of the same. Yeah, it was sort of the same thing. But this kind of gets into how you got into this project. 
Yeah, so um, back growing up in Astoria, Queens, uh, I'm the product of two tennis nuts. My father was a tennis coach who actually came to tennis kind of late, but just loved it. And, and my parents literally met on a tennis court in Flushing, Queens. And my little room in our little Archie Bunker house in, in Astoria was covered with their tennis trophies and their tennis photos. So there was this one photo of two brown-skinned women in their tennis whites standing on the grass courts of the Marion Cricket Club. So both of those women were allowed to play in the tournament, but they couldn't join that club. And so one was Althea and the other was my mother, hmm. who was from Jamaica and learned to play basically in their backyard. And then she came over here when she was about 18, 19 hmm. and continued playing tennis, kind of mediocre tennis, but um, <laughs> got to play that year in that tournament. So that was her story, you know, for years and years. I heard that story many, many times. And then about five, six years ago, I got reacquainted with that photograph and just got intrigued by Althea's story and made a couple calls to people who wound up being in the film and they just hooked me. And what hooked me was just how many different things she excelled at. And, you know, we talked about it briefly, but she cut an album, she mm -hmm. sang on Ed Sullivan, she was in a John Wayne film, she had a ticker tape parade and got a college degree from uh, Florida A&M. And uh, I just thought that was amazing and that nobody really knew this story and there hadn't been any uh, films really the last one was about 15 years ago, kind of mediocre documentary, and didn't cover all of these things that she did. And I felt that her personality was so interesting. You know, the toughness, uh, not wanting to be part of the. I would have assumed that somebody that famous would have loved the attention of being a civil rights leader. But then I looked a little bit more into it. She would have been risking a lot in the 50s, then, yeah. Yeah, Emmett, Emmett Till, lynchings mm. everywhere. This is way before Martin Luther King and long before Arthur Ashe, who came along, you know, in the late 60s. You're listening to Bill Roden on Sports. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on Sports. Yeah, you can't really, you know, you, you, in retrospect, in hindsight, you can blame people. But when you're in the here and now, when you're in the heat of the battle, because the reality is that the majority of folks didn't do that. I don't, I don't yeah. think Jackie Robinson did either. Well, he was, well, he became more of, of, of that after he retired. He became much more of that because remember his whole thing was Branch Rickey said, Well, you gotta let them kick your ass for a couple of years, you right, know. Right. And he said, Okay, and there are a lot of guys in Negro League Baseball that said, Shit, I'm not gonna I'll fucking kill you if somebody that's what they right. said. So it's it's easier, you know, to say what you what you would have done, you know, in twenty fifteen mm -hmm. than when you're there. I mean, just like, well, forget that, look at where we are now in twenty fifteen with police brutality and, and murdering back people. You know, there there have been demonstrations, but you have a whole lot of folks, black folks, who are not saying anything about not it, who athletes, are not risking. Right. Athletes, I mean, a couple are saying stuff. So it's not like you got this whole hue and cry about yeah. stuff. And not, not too many pro athletes going to come out and take a stance. I mean, Michael famously said, right. oh, Republicans buy sh sneakers too. You know, yeah. they don't want to rock the boat. I mean, a few people do. But not, but the majority, that's what, that's, that, that's what I was trying to tell Jonathan. That's what makes Muhammad Ali special because most people don't do it. I mean, you only have, you know, a, Mar a Martin Luther King or Gandhi. Or so Most people just figure out, man, let me just get through this life without making, rocking the damn boat, you know? And, you know, and I, you know, I had a conversation with, well, this, this gets into another thing, but I was asking some people to be on a podcast, you know, who would be very interesting guests, I thought. And a couple guys, a couple people said, well, you know, I don't know, you know, my role... I don't, you know, people aren't really used to me giving opinions and blah, 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 blah. And this is people who you talk to off the record, and they be like, yeah, the white man, blah, 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 and they said, no, you know, it's not kind of my lane and, and all that, brother, but I really appreciate what you do, you know, but then it dawned on me that, you know, for most of my life, I was a jazz critic at the Baltimore Sun, using music to talk about race and stuff. I've been, you know, uh, columns at the Times for 20-something, you know. And it really, I've lived in the world of opinion. Mm -hmm. And it didn't dawn me that there are a lot of people who 
they're making trillions of you know, whatever, but the more money you make, more you know, to lose. The more you yeah. lose, and say, hey, brother, I ain't. I'm not. And so that gets into Althea and other people, you know, who are saying, listen, this and, is. And rare. if that's the landscape, as you said, in 2015, we right. can imagine what it was like in yeah. the early it, mid 50s. It wasn't just a, money; it was your life. Your life. Yeah. You know, and, and anybody who you feel close to. Just, just a couple of things. This is and not, also, uh, with uh, that, uh, just to finish that uh, thought, uh, with Althea, access, because she was walking a very thin line being allowed to play in these tournaments. Right. And the gatekeepers were basically all rich white folks. So if right. she's going to be rocking the boat talking about the white man, that exactly. door is going to close. That's right. And especially in a sport like tennis. I mean, there is no more... <laughs> You know, uptight of a sport than tennis that I can think. Maybe of. golf. Okay, golf. Yeah, Definitely yeah, golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Golf was kind which, of tough which, too. which was her next sport? Uh, she went Go from figure. the skillet to the frying pan. But even like <laughs> 1950, wasn't like the NBA. I mean, well, one 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 young girl asked me a few years ago uh, during the Black History Month. She asked me, "Well, Mr. Rowan, who was the first white player to integrate the NBA?" Yeah, and the the question came out of the. Remember, she she asked me, "Who was the first white player?" to integrate the NBA. This was a middle school kid. Well, in her, her mind, she'd grown up with the NBA being yeah. 80% black and the NFL be eight. So the fact that, like in 1950, the fact that the, the NFL had just gotten integrated two years ago. Major mm-hmm. League Baseball just gotten integrated. You know, so that's why this film, I think, this documentary is so important. Uh, because and, and I tell kids when they read when they watch this film about the or any film, you, watch it the way athletes watch game film. You know, athletes spend ninety percent of their time watching game film, but they're not watching it just to see themselves play. They're watching stuff of the past so they could study what I did wrong, what my opponent did strong, what's his strength. Everything has to do with tomorrow's game. Mm-hmm. next week's game. That's the only reason they're watching game film. So if you watch this film of Althea, don't just get caught up in the pit. But how does this relate to 2015? You know, that's the pivot. How does, like, Tracy um, Green, who's a head coach at Harvard, well, it's 2015, but hell, how many black female tennis coaches in Ivy League colleges, how lonely do you think it is for her? I mean, you know, so... Everything is, but let me ask you one thing before we let you uh, go. You let us go. I'm not sure which goes first, but this isn't your first. I mean, you've done other, you've done a lot of other stuff. I mean, you. I'm looking at this book, which is actually incredible, called "All the Blues Gone," which is a really wonderful pictorial. It's called "All the Blues Gone: Life, I mean, Music and Life in Mississippi," which is just a wonderful, wonderful um, book of photography. Uh, tell, tell, tell us a little bit yep. about that and also some other stuff you've done. That was uh, that was my project back in uh, 1990. I had an opportunity to basically just go down to Mississippi for a couple of days. Um, it came out of a, a photo shoot with B.B. King, actually, mm. and uh, talking to him. Uh, I was like, oh, hi, Mr. King. Where are you from, sir? You know, he's like, I'm from Mississippi, man. Don't you know? I'm the <laughs> king of the blues from Mississippi. <laughs> and literally a conversation with him led to me eventually – driving to Mississippi 32 times and mm. that was where I would kind of escape from the, the the fast-paced world of being an aspiring New York photographer and I would kick back for a few weeks and just do documentary work down there and it, I call it a glimpse into the culture and traditions behind the blues mm. and none of the people in in the book are famous um, if you're a real blues aficionado you might know R.L. Burnside or James Son Thomas but these were mm. all cats that lived in Mississippi and most of them had been sharecroppers or pick cotton or, or their father did and that was where the blues came from mm. the, the pain of, of, the, of the cotton fields and then uh, so I, I'm also besides being a, a director I'm, I'm a cinematographer for other people's films and uh, I work with my wife who's also a director so I shot a film of hers La- that last year was on HBO and at Sundance called Private Violence. Mm. And it's a look into a very disturbing world of domestic violence. Mm. And then we also do something, uh, a show now, which is a little bit lighter, that's called A Chef's Life. And that's on PBS. It's a food documentary series mm. looking at the life of this one chef um, and her life one ingredient at a time. <laughs> <laughs> You've also done at least two other tennis documentaries, right? Yeah, I've done, uh, I did a, a film called Behind These Walls uh, for Tennis Channel, 
which was a look at life at and around the tennis court at San Quentin Penitentiary. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, it was great. So the, the court <laughs> was basically a good excuse to go behind the walls and look at life. But, mm. you know, it was an interesting dynamic. The tennis court was literally like the only place in the prison that was not segregated by race and mm. gang affiliation because the, the guy that runs the tennis was going to shut it down unless different people came. So mm. it's actually the one integrated place at the prison. Mm. And uh, that was quite an experience. Wow. Man. What's next? <laughs> I mean, I know you're reveling in, in the Althea Gibbs thing now, but, you know, as you know, Doc, you can't. You can't gotta keep, you can't, <laughs> gotta keep, keep it moving. Keep it rolling. Yeah, uh, some more projects trying to get off the ground, uh, including one about uh, the domination of Jamaican sprinters. I'm trying ah. to take a look into that. So if anybody wants to get involved in financing uh, <laughs> independent documentaries, look me up. Are you saying Bolt, right? So he would. Yeah, what we're looking at really is, um, yeah, Bolt comes out of that, but we were going to follow some of the younger folks um, as it leads up to this big race that they have every year. It's basically like the high school championships of Jamaica. And if, if you win that, your time is usually puts you in the finals of the Olympics. Ah, and I these are high school kids. My, you know? my colleague, my colleague, I think Michael Powell, wrote about that this earlier yeah, this year. That's what inspired me. Plus, that I'm Jamaican, so I, I read that article and then yeah. started researching and looking into it. So we're trying to get that going now. Yeah, great, great, great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great job. Hey, well, listen, Rex Miller. This is um, man. This has really been fascinating. This has been a fascinating conversation. Fascinating project. I'm really. I'm so happy that you uh, that you brought Sister uh, uh, Gibson to to life and kind of breathe fresh life into it. Really, really great context, though. Oh, one thing I wanted to say uh, uh, before the uh, MVP of the, the uh, control room, Seth Nyman, uh, pushes. Yeah, <clears throat> one thing that I thought, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but one thing that stands out about the film is about the the interdependence in the black community at that time. Because remember. There, there was a coming together of black folks, you know, whether it was Sugar Ray Leonard or the or the band leader giving Althea uh, her first saxophone, uh, the, the black tennis club, although it was quote unquote the black bourgeoisie, whatever. But there was this there was this sense of black folks understanding what they were up against and helping each other. Mm. And every time I I look at those things, I think about, damn man, we kind of had it. You know, we kind of had that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and you kind of, you know, give it up. And and th that, but that was one of the things that continued to go through that documentary. Yeah, was, 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 yeah. that really stood out for me as well. And I was talking about it with somebody, and basically back in the day, if you were African American and you were famous or not famous, you lived in Harlem. Right. And nowadays, if you play for the Knicks, you live in a gated community in right. Jersey. Where are the so, black folks? Okay, I want to move as far away from them <laughs> as possible. Yeah. Where are the black folks live there? Okay, I want to live so, way the fuck Right, Chris Rock does a whole great right. bit about yeah. that. Yeah. you know. But back in the day, so Althea's walking down the street, you would see Willie Mays, yeah. you'd see Sugar Ray Robinson, they're all right yeah. there on the block. So there was much more of a, of, of a coming together. And uh, I mean, I didn't know that really until I, you know, delve deep into her story. You me growing up in Chicago in the South Side, you know, all the the, the the Cubs play, like Ernie Banks, those guys, they live right on the Ingle side. And, you know, Gene Ammons was there. So you go to the grocery store, you know, and while some of the white people, you know, would be like, hell, we're going to go see Gene Ammons. I said, well, shit, I saw him the other day, man. He was like buying groceries, man. Gene, what the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> you know, but there was a whole echo structure of black folks, of teachers, doctors, lawyers, laborers working together and I don't necessarily want to romanticize that but there was a strength that that came to that and when that when integration came and kind of fractured it I think that it shattered our community to little pieces and I think what we see now we're still picking those pieces up and deciding how we're going to put ourselves back together again with those pieces that are left well, one of the things that gets talked about in the film is how um, the ATA was the American Tennis Association, which was the black tennis organization, yes. founded in 1916. <laughs> right. So from 1916 till when Althea and then Arthur kind of broke through in the 50s and 60s, 
blacks competed with and amongst each other. Yeah. And uh, some of the black uh, tennis pros who contributed to the film like to point out that, uh, okay, Althea made it in the late 50s, and then it wasn't until the late 90s, early 2000s, that Serena and Venus came through with another Grand right. Slam championship. So they attribute some of that to the fracturing of the ATA, which was made somewhat irrelevant. I mean, it still exists today, but it's, it's not like front and center. So that was direct evidence of blacks helping blacks in sports and pushing them up the ladder. And then that's kind of fallen away a little bit. And it's still a really hard sport to make it in, especially if you're coming from, you know, struggling circumstances because it's really expensive right. and access. And um, I, I was part of a panel uh, a week ago where there was a, a, a pro player, African-American woman, talking about her experience. She's like, I'm always the one black person you know and it's tough culturally I'm always the one um, and Katrina Adams has talked about that who's a former pro player who's now the head of the USTA she's the first yeah. African-American head of the USTA who we hope to have on the program by the way oh okay <laughs> use my influence um, so anyway it's a continuing thing yeah. you know yeah. and you know and the thing is um, when you talk about you know uh, uh, Venus and Serena's uh, Richard Williams talked about that, you know, in terms of, I mean, if people's, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, you know, blacks, I think somebody says it in the film, well, we didn't even know blacks played tennis. You know, well, blacks did play tennis and blacks played golf. I mean, there's a, a Harvard, uh, the, the first, um, the first, uh, uh, the first dentist and the first, uh, the first graduating class of the Harvard's dentist school was a black man who patented the um, golf tee, you know, huh. so... Blacks have played this stuff. That's that was never the issue. The issue was access. access We've been playing yeah. since nineteen sixteen. So and again, but when you look at this, I think that all these things, I think when you look at this, when you look at the Althea Gibson story, there there's so many other issues that come to light aside just the great story of a of a of a great athlete. So again, Rex, uh thanks again, man, for coming and to uh you know, uh, sharing the story. No, no, your mother was Jamaican. Mm -hmm. What was your father? Uh, white guy from New York. I'm German, uh, Irish. Uh, yeah. I think it was English, Irish, French, Welsh, Dutch. <laughs> That's what I was told. You no remember evidence. all that? He, he, he was descended from upstate New York farmers. <laughs> and coincidentally, he actually grew up in Harlem in a, in, with a single mom. Oh, um, wow. Just That's happened to live there. I don't, I don't know all the details, but they came from, like, Middletown, New York farmers. You know? mm. yeah. Are you still playing tennis? Oh, yeah. I, I played in college. I played age group. I've, I still coach a little bit when I have time. Nice. Love it. Got my little daughters, three and seven, into it. So Cool. You live in Manhattan, huh? No, I am an escaped oh, New Yorker. Right. I'm down in Durham, North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Left yeah. about 12 years ago, but love to come back. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> For a hey. visit. Love to come back. Uh, hey, Ray. Hey, man. Listen, thanks so much, man. Really, really appreciate you being here. Good luck on the film and congratulations. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.